Hi everyone, this is David Weiss from Bonsai Acres. Welcome to Up North Bonsai. This podcast is a chance for me to talk to and learn from Bonsai enthusiasts from all around the Upper Midwest. Most of the Bonsai professionals have set up shop on or near the coasts. Those of us living in the Upper Midwest need to adjust what we learn from those professionals to our colder climate. We have a shorter growing season in the Upper Midwest, and as we all know it, uh, climate is always changing. I believe there is a lot we can learn from each other about how to create beautiful bonsai in North Country. My goal? To help others enhance their bonsai journey in their microclimate. For me, bonsai is all about the journey. I'm a firm believer in lifelong learning and hope this podcast can spread some good information to those just getting into the hobby and for me to learn more too. For the purposes of this podcast, the Upper Midwest will consist of bonsai enthusiasts that live in Zones 3, 4, and 5. That will include the state of Minnesota, North and South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, and perhaps some of our friends way up there in Canada. Join me now as we head up north and talk bonsai. On today's show, I talk with one of my good friends from the Minnesota Bonsai Society, Tim Mathwig. Tim has been working with bonsai for over 30 years and a part of MBS for almost as long. It's been a tough couple years for him and most of us. And to get things started, he and I talk about the thoughts of bonsai being therapy. Quickly, we dive into how he got into bonsai and his microclimate in central Minnesota. It's time for Up North Bonsai. Bonsai was my retreat into something uh, that could kind of slow me down, uh, uh, relax me a bit. Yeah. I mean, every meeting I'd go to, it puts you in an entirely different frame of mind when you walk in. You can drop your life, yeah. you know, and, and take over this aspect of your life, bonsai, that you enjoy. It, it is a form of therapy, whether people like the word therapy or not. When oh, you, it is, when you, definitely. When you can dive into nature it at this little is. miniature yep. level. Yep. Yep. <laughs> How did bonsai start for you again? What was that? What was that very beginning? What got you hooked? I should well, say. Well, what got me hooked? Uh, I used to be in 4-H as, as a kid. I mean, I grew up in 4-H, so I had, you know, 4-H meetings, 4-H projects. I won a trip to the state fair one time with a woodworking or a model rocketry or whatever class it was. It was probably woodworking is what I did first. If you win at county level, you get to go exhibit your project at the state level at the state fair. So then you get to go with your project and stay at the state fair. And I discovered. Dallas Bonsai, Fred Meyer in the, uh, the bazaar in Mexican Village or whatever it was called back then. But I'd just hang around his dang booth because he had all these cool looking trees. I saw him and then I started, you know, questioning him a little bit. Then I started to get some books. Mm -hmm. Of course, I bought trees from Fred. I never knew there was a club. I didn't know any of that stuff. Landscaping buddy of mine, we'd uh, regularly go to the state fair and we'd always go on the first weekend. And something happened one, one year, we couldn't go the first weekend, and uh, we couldn't go the first weekend, so we had to go the second weekend. And I'll be damned, we walked into that Ag Hort building, and what's this? Bonsai show. That excursion to the State Fair on the, you know, last weekend when the Minnesota Bonsai Society is having its uh, show, my buddy was, you know, oh, it's cool, <laughs> but I didn't want to leave. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I got home, I signed us both up, and I, I was hooked. <laughs> and how many years ago was that? Are you in 30 uh, years yet? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 30, 35. 35 <laughs> I bet it's probably years. 35 years. 
I'm really curious. I'm, you know, I'm talking to people in the upper Midwest and really I'm really am focusing a lot with my questions um, about everybody's microclimate because it's, it's so that it's what oh, you, what you've oh, got yeah. here, even compared to where I am just south of the Metro from you. It's different everywhere you it's, go. And it's different 10 miles down the road. If you're mm -hmm. in a peak, you're in well, a valley. You're... You, you can see, you know, if you, you see the way our trees and stuff are set up over there, we're kind of in a little protected little thing with trees and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's windy as hell out in the road here, but you don't, but it's it. not so bad where we got so our your trees. trees aren't drying out nearly as much as someone. Not the ones that are up uh, in our area, yeah. the ones that are in our growing area down on the other side there, they're a little more open. What happens, you know, when we, we bring out our stuff in the in the spring, you know, blows over constantly out there until it's been out in our mulch mix, our mulch beds. You know, in about a month's time, the roots are out of the, the pots, mm -hmm. and they're into my mulch bed, okay. and then my trees stand up. Yeah. So you're in central Minnesota. What are some of the, what are your peaks and valleys with temps and conditions? What is your microclimate all about right here in, your, in, in this part of central Minnesota? We get pretty dang cold. Uh, we seem to be able to grow a lot. I think it's zone five, I think, is what we get up here. With the right winter setup, I mean, you can get stuff to survive. It doesn't thrive necessarily, but uh, tropicals are tough. The, uh, you know, the native stuff and the uh, imports that uh, need the dormancy, we seem to do pretty well with that stuff. For the winter solstice, Tim says there's not a whole lot going on. We talked a lot about cold frames and how to maintain our trees in the cold winter months in Minnesota. Unfortunately, he has some critter stories to share as well. What's making your bonsai tree successful? What do you do in the winter? What's your main winter things to keep your bonsai really doing well in, in central Minnesota? Are you there, just checking cold frame? There, there, there's not a whole lot going on in the winter. Uh, we're just monitoring the, the, the rooms, keeping it watered. We don't really feed it in there at all. When we do clean up for a winter, we try to scrape all that stuff off. We try to, you know, rake the top of the soil. But Sometimes there's fertilizers that might stay on it. The, the tea bags broke open and there still might be fertilizer. So there might be some fertilizer going in it as well, but we're not intentionally yeah. sticking tea bags on it or fertilizing it through the winter. So I would say not getting fertilized. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just keeping an eye on it. When it gets to be uh, uh, February, March, April, you're deciding what, uh, which ones are going to come out to get repotted. Yeah. And uh, Terry uh, Engel, who, whose trees we still store, and... Uh, Terry likes to, well, you see, we get a little bonsai fever come about February or March. He's, yeah. com he's coming up next weekend. Yeah. And what we'll generally do is we'll, we'll set up in here and we'll, we'll either do needlework on uh, some pines or we'll cut back uh, some deciduous stuff, uh, hornbeams or whatnot that are starting to push. You know, okay. They're, they're sure. not, not pushing a lead, but the buds are starting buds to move. Buds are swelling a little and, bit. And uh, we'll do cutbacks on stuff like that. But February, too early. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably March. I mean, he's coming up next week. Yeah. We'll see what he wants to do. Yeah. It, it may be sifting. Yeah. Preparing <laughs> it may, some it soil. May be, it may be sifting. So. For the busy spring season. And I actually bought a 30 by 20 uh, hoop house mm. that we were going to put up and, and set big doors on up on it so that I could actually drive through. Okay. Oh. Hook up a tractor to it. Oh, sure. Put all the plants on, on a trailer. Yeah. This, this, is a, this is kind of a, uh, a wintering dream for me. And, yeah. and I haven't accomplished it yet. I have some of the steps there. Right. When I retire, maybe it'll happen. We'll see. I would like to set it up so that I could put all the plants on, I don't know, say hay wagons or bigger wagons mm -hmm. and hook it up tandem and just drive it into this hoop house. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's too cold tonight, drive it into the hoop house. Next right. morning, it's 50, 60 degrees, drive it out. Drive it out. And I could get, you know, time in the, in the fall mm -hmm. and I could get time in the, in the spring. Yeah. 
I could probably gain another month on both ends. Plus, it would make it easier for winter storage because I'd actually, I think I'd make the hoop house into the coal frame. It would be nicer because you've seen my coal rooms. They're, they're big, mm-hmm. but they're not big enough. <laughs> you know, Gay, Gay, ever enough room? Gay, Gay, Gay would like to have the trees all spread out so that you could look at them, you know, mm-hmm. okay? The stuff is close together. Yeah. To get one tree out of the middle there, it's got to move about 10 trees to get it out. Yeah. So it's not ideal, but it does work. You know, if you keep up your, your ventilation in there and, uh, you know, you can keep the funguses from taking over. Our cold frames have worked pretty good. I mean, we've had bugs. We've had little, you know, raccoons coming in the ceiling, uh, right. chipmunks coming in through the floor. Uh, knock on wood, I've not had the furnace or the, the heater quit on me. I just try to encourage myself. Every time I'm here to check the cold frames regular, and I encourage Gay to do it too. We use those uh, oil-filled the radiator oil here. Yeah. And I, they're You're very, yeah. yeah, they're very reliable. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I the, don't uh, have them, but I think the, I'll go uh, to them next. The ones that blow the hot air, I mean, we've used those too. The, the milk house heaters or, you know, yeah. the little ceramic ones, we use those too. Yeah. But I don't like those because they actually send out hot air, whereas the radiator just radiates the heat. There's different models. Mm-hmm. The, the computer model, one that we got, uh, you know, it's got more digital stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't like those. Okay. They're a little too, uh, they're a little too more tech than I want. Okay. So the old school ones that are just a, you know, a, a freeze th- thermostat right. setting. Yeah. When it gets a certain temp, they go on, period. Yep. yep. On and off. They last a long time. Yeah. Very nice. So how cold does it get up here in central Minnesota for you? What is it like this year? Have you hit oh, 30 we, below yet? We've had, uh, yeah, 28, 29. Yeah. 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 So the trees and the cold frame then, you've got your uh, heaters obviously going on when, when they need it. Yeah. How often do you think they go off? Okay. Initially, before... I was up here. Gay had, you know, bonsai too. Her, yeah. her dad built her a small yeah. uh, cold room. And it's insulated uh, with, uh, you know, the batting insulation. Okay. And because that room has, it stays a little cooler and maybe there's a little more fluctuation in there. Yeah. Our, our heaters uh, seem to do fine keeping it at 40, but you do see a little bit more fluctuation in there. Trees don't seem to mind it though. Yeah. Uh, the trees that we put in there are also the, uh, uh, the broadleaf evergreens, the boxwoods. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we throw light at that room, a lot of light at that room. We got, you know, fluorescence on every bank, okay. and I got LEDs on the ceiling now. Mm-hmm. And uh, all that stuff also keeps the, the heat up. Yeah. You know, even LEDs will, you know, kick off kick some heat. Some heat yeah. So I wouldn't say that the fluctuation in temperature is even bad in that room. Hmm. I think it's actually okay. I mean, I think it's not, it's you, not a wide fluctuation. It just kind of gets a little cooler and gets a little warmer in there. Because we, we want the changes to be... Moderate. Moderate, yeah, but the not changes extreme. aren't bad in itself, but if it's a huge the extreme, change. The extreme change is what we worry about, yeah. yeah. Now, the big room that we kind of super insulate, it's got four inches and another, what, those uh, uh, foil-backed pieces. I think oh. I got about six inches of insulation on the walls and the ceiling in that room. That room stays pretty steady temperature. Also, I, I'm, I'm 100% sure that one of the reasons for that is I didn't cover the floor with styrofoam. So it's got the barn concrete. Okay. So what happens in that room, I feel, the concrete gets cold, and it really levels out the temperature in that room, keeps it the same all the time. And I don't really think the heat kicks on, you know, like a lot in that room. Once it gets warmed up to temperature, the concrete is kind of kept at that temperature. Yeah. I think the concrete is kind of moderating the cold extremes in there and kind of keeping that room steady. It was so tight at first uh, we'd have condensation on the ceiling. I mm. mean, moisture on the ceiling, and it was just like too close, too hu- too high of humidity. Yeah. Then we put in, uh, you know, exhaust fans and stuff like that. We soon discovered that if the exhaust fan runs runs too long, 
it takes a section of the cold room right up there by the exhaust fan and dries it out fast. Oh. So if you put an exhaust fan in your cold room, yeah. uh, you have to wait, have a way to turn it off and on, I'd say, for sure. Yeah. And we've actually come to the conclusion that we don't want it to run all the time. We only want it to run after we've watered and the room is full of humidity, and now we're going to run that exhaust fan for you know, a day or two to suck out the excess humidity, yeah. and then we turn it off. We actually had uh, one year when we first put them in where it killed trees on the top shelf because sure. they were by that. Too dry. You're, yeah, you're it sucked it out. And you're not used to that because it's like, well, you never had that before. Okay. And all of a sudden, uh, you got this little zone up in your room where it's sucking the uh, the, the temperature out faster and there's, you know, the suction is dried out top row of trees. Uh, sure. And then you'd be crispy in, in winter or in ha, spring. Has it been drier for you here this year? I mean, my, my cold frames have been drier than any year I've had bonsai. Well, for, first of all, we, we also, when we water, mm-hmm. it's, we like to have the doors open. Yeah. Okay. So we can kind of move around. We got to plug in our pump and stuff like that. We can water from the inside of the room with the doors closed, but it's, it's tight. You want more room. Yeah. So we try to pick days when it's more moderate outside, sure. moderate in the barn, so yep. that we can leave the doors open for you know an hour that we're in there watering. Because you've got to stand on stools, lean over stuff on top, top, middle shelf, bottom shelf, and you're crawling around for a while. And it's try to water really heavy on the top, and then all that stuff starts to hit as it goes down. You'll get that uh, moisture hanging up real heavy at first. It'll be real humid in there. So I got a lot of fans moving that humid air around, but that didn't solve the problem. You know, when you got a, a tight room and you got fans going, all it's doing is sending the humidity around. Yeah. So that did cause this problem. And uh, Raccoon also caused us the problem then where he broke in the top of our, our, our space from the uh, floor of the barn, crawled in there and curled up next to our ceiling fans because it was nice and toasty there. Sure. And then it wasn't big enough for him, so he chewed all the insulation there to make it bigger for him. Still had nice heat there, but he kept on losing his insulation. <laughs> I'd, I'd walk in the cold room, and there's like this insulation sprinkling down. It's like, where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> and uh, well, you go in the, in the, in the payloft of the barn, and you start to see what's going on what's here. Going so on? I you know, boarded it all up, but the raccoon actually was coming through the roof. Okay, through our, He threw all our insulation. And then we have the FRP, that, uh, that hard plastic shell that they put in the kitchens and stuff. Okay. That's over the top of it. And he was pushing down on that because he was going to get in the room. I mean, I was up there and I was pushing on it. His fur's coming through and his legs are coming through and I pushed it back. Then we had to, uh, you know, redo the roof, uh, the cold frame. So we took off the, you know, the floor in the uh, hayloft of the barn. And yeah, he had eaten all the insulation up there, made his little pathways. It was, yeah. It was a village. It was his village. So, yeah, we uh, had to redo that, re-insulate that. Since then, the moisture hasn't been as much of an issue for us. We'll tend to get a little fungus on certain trees. I mean, I've, I lost black pines uh, two years ago that I've had, you know, for a long time. And they get fuzz on them. And typically what we do is we'd warm day, we'd bring it out and spray off the fuzz and then spray a fungicide on it, but put it back in there. Most years it seemed like it didn't really hurt it. Three years ago, it hurt them. It hurt them. It hurt them. When this happens, okay, I don't like to spray chemicals in the cold frame, okay? I like to spray, you know, something natural, something organic. Yeah. Because I'm a little afraid of the toxicity of all this stuff. Anyhow, especially when I'm in an enclosed space. Mm-hmm. And so other years, I've always just sprayed, like, uh, uh, the soaps and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's how we've managed our stuff. That year that I lost the pines, we sprayed something a little harsher. Gay mixed up like a like an outside you know, mm. fungicide mix. We've never done that before. Right. Okay. We did it that year. 
Okay, when you put that stuff on outside, you put it on, it kills it, yeah. and then your waterings, the rain, kind of yeah. wash that off. Mm -hmm. I don't think that happened in the cold frame. Yeah. It all just stayed there. And then the trees might have killed the fungus, but it just kept on killed more killing than that. more than the fungus. For sure. And so I don't like the concept of spraying in the cold frame, although Peter has now told us that there's a, a more natural thing that we could spray the whole cold frame oh. and it wouldn't hurt anything. Oh, nice. So we bought that. We have not sprayed it yet, but yeah. we haven't seen any fungus yet you either. So. Fungus yet. So. so the moral of this story is really trying to keep the fungus at bay, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right? I mean, I, I, I think you're going to have fungus. Yeah. You're, everybody's probably going to have some sort of fungus. It's a matter of how bad it's going to get. Yeah. And is it going to damage your trees? Is it going to kill your trees? Yeah. This always comes up with cold frame conversations is that you really have to have good, easy access to your cold frames and all the, you know, something. You need to look at it. You need to look at it. Because you have to look at your yep. trees. You've got to be checking yep. them out a yep. lot. You, you, I mean, Giggles out to get the corn to feed the deer every day. And I mean, realistically, I think it, it would be good if she looked at it every time she went out to get the corn. I'm up here on the weekend. It's like morning and night. Yep. I look at it. You know, sometimes during the day, I'm probably looking at it. If we're doing anything, I mean, I'm looking at it constantly. So... It's like, I mean, I get up here on Friday night, I'm running out there right away to make sure everything's good yet because yeah. I haven't seen it for a week. Yep. And uh, you talk to Van, I mean, it's in his workshop. It's like every time you're outside in your workshop, you're going to check your trees or you're going to check it every morning, check it every night. Yeah. And I, you know, watched a couple of your videos, the same thing. Your, your interior stuff is easy to get at. Your garage is easy garage to get at easy. too, but you got it sealed in. So it's like you got to have a, you know, a way to open your door without yeah. too much work in order to look at it. I don't know how often you open your, your rooms. Uh, I'm opening my rooms minimum once a week. Once a week? But no, I've not got much more than twice. Do you, do you uh, have like a, a, a visual thermometer from the outside kind of thing you can see and stuff? You've got I, a Govi or something. I too, have I a Govi on yeah. my phone, so I know what the temperature is doing in yep. there. Well, knowing the temperature is one thing. And the humidity as well. Yep, but yep. seeing what else is going on. I mean, if the damn chipmunk gets in there, right. you yep. don't know it unless you're actually looking. Absolutely. And the year we had that damn chipmunk, I mean, I walk out there all the time. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Never saw nothing. Yeah. Until the week. Terry comes up there, we're going to work on hard beams, and I walk out there, and it's like, Terry, what the hell is this, like, six-pack of dirt from this cedar right by the door? It's dirt pile all over, like a six-pack, like dice. I'm like, oh, shit, that don't look good. That don't look like mice digging either, I said. And then we started digging further to, you know, bring out the hornbeams and stuff, and then I started seeing these uh, shiny cambium layers on, on my maple trees, and I'm yeah. like, oh, shit. I think by the time we uh, had them, lined up here in the shop. This is like in February or March too. Yeah. I mean, I had 20 some trees that were, you know, Completely. girdled partly, girdled partly, girdled some. Some did this scratch through that. Some of them were weird because they actually just kind of like scratched the bark off and it's like it, the bark was harder and they couldn't get to the cambium as easy. So they went on to So they, 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 they marked up the, the bases. Yeah. But they gave up on that tree because it was too coarse, too hard. They couldn't get to the, the good the stuff. The good stuff. Yeah. Luckily, Peter had told us about this stuff. I don't know if you ever use this or not. I, well, I have a stick from you. But this is the stuff from Menards you yeah. buy for cheap. Yeah. We put like six things of these putty on all our trees that were girdled. Because we're like, well, first of all, this has never happened to us before. Yeah. What do we do? I mean, right. are they dead? Can we save them? Can we save anything? So the first thought was, well, we don't want it to dry out. We covered up with putty the first day. Mm -hmm. And then we probably left them in the shop here. Yeah. What else can we do? What else can we do? And then we decided, well, we're going we're gonna to put soil like an air layer oh. over the top of this already so that if it's still got enough energy maybe to show some roots, maybe we can air layer the trees that are going to die because they're all chewed off. Sure. So then we covered it off with sphagnum, wet sphagnum, and, and made a little pot on the top of the pots yeah. to see if we could sure. you know, get roots there to help keep the tree alive 
above all this stuff, maybe it would heal up, maybe it wouldn't. You know, it was close enough to spring where I don't think we put it back in the cold room. They just all sat here now. Okay. And then we come out here and we missed the heck out of them all the time, trying to see if we could, yeah. you know, keep them going. So we lost a lot of, uh, you know, tried to maples that weren't bonsai yet. They were trees that I'd put in a forest someday. Yeah. Gay had a, uh, a crab apple, totally girdled it, ate the tops off the roots on the bottom. That's one that we, you know, oh, we got to do something right away. And then Gay's like, we're going to try to earlier this right away. Some of these we haven't opened back up yet either. Okay. Okay. What we did uh, last year and the year before, so we started peeling in, and well, some of them, they kind of healed over, and I'll be damned, the chipmunk kind of made it look kind of cool. <laughs> a couple, a couple of them, because he, he, cool. he gave it some more character down there. They, they kind of healed over, they got some scars, and they look a little bit cooler than they were before. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Others are like kind of hideous, yeah. and others started shooting roots out, and we lost our, we, we got a reverse taper, now we got a base upon a base. Oh, Okay. The base was looking pretty beautiful, and all of a sudden the chipmunk decided to take off like half of it. Yeah. So we spagged them, you know, did all this stuff. The tree survived. The base might not even be dead, but in our efforts to save it, we, we caused air layer above the original base uh -huh. and, a, and a flare, of course, up there. So now you got a little bit of reverse taper. Yeah. So it'll be a matter of cut that off if we feel like got enough roots to, you yeah. know, this is sometimes like a five foot tree that it hasn't been chopped down yet. Oh, boy. But now I got, you know, potentially two trees, I suppose. I mean, I air layer off the tops of all these trees, too, before I finally cut it down to the tree that I might want to work with. Right. So I might have got, you know, six, eight air layers off this tree. Yeah. Now if I have to cut it off at this spot where it's rooted above the base, I'll have another tree, and it'll probably still sprout from the original, and sure. I might have a, you you know, have a turtleback tree. forest or something in there, too. <laughs> so all kinds of stuff could happen yet. And now we want to take it to Peter and do the... The build. Okay. The build the branches. Yeah. And if you've ever worked with Peter, uh, mm -hmm. he, he builds. He builds, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, I've he, had two he, times he, with him he'll, probably, he'll probably cut everything else off. Yep. Or he might leave some whips to, to direct yep. the branches where we want it. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if we can build a tree. We're, we're kind of afraid to that, too. Uh, I mean, we, ever, ever since we've been going to Peter, he scares the shit out of us when he takes a deciduous tree. You bring a deciduous tree to Peter. Not much left. It's coming back a stump. We've got a lot of maples that look really nice. We've worked with Sutton, and they're, they're nice bonsai. Yeah. They're not the kind of uh, bonsai that Peter builds. Mm -hmm. Sutton has those trees at home. Well, sure. When we went to his place and saw him in September uh, last year, uh, he's got them. Yeah. I'd like to see some of what Peter's built, but he showed us pictures, and, you know, the stuff that he builds from the trunk, I mean, it's fork and fork and fork and fork and fork, and just all the way out. It starts at the very beginning, and that's... Yeah. What he teaches us when we go to the workshops with Peter. For sure. Gay's got a, uh, a maple forest that we put together. You've probably seen it. Yeah. I mean, it, it could probably win still a best of show, but it's not maybe what Peter uh -huh. would have started it as. So when we bring it to Peter, we're like, well, we, we kind of like it the way it is. We don't want to, you know, uh, go back to ground zero. Right. We, we still want to put it on our, our bench and, and enjoy it. Right. So what would you recommend then? P Peter just will do a, a, a more nominal cutback yeah. and try to keep. Uh, what he thinks is still salvageable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he probably doesn't think it's salvageable, <laughs> but it looks pretty nice. That's right. <laughs> and so we, we managed to actually do some work on deciduous trees with Peter yeah. still, too. But uh, My Trident Maple, that workshop we were in with Peter, the question always would come with each student he was working with is, do we want to bear root this or not? Um, <laughs> and... A tree we can bear root typically, but his bear rooting, quote unquote, was there were two stubs left. 
yeah. maybe three. The yeah. bottom of this right. trident was absolutely nothing. It was a it was a stick yeah. <laughs> with a little bit of girth, and, and, and boom. He, he's that's what he, the way he was taught, the way he's learned, and yeah. it works yeah. if, if you know what you're doing. You can build a tree from that. Peter's diligent approach right. at the right times of year, doing the right stuff, and as soon as you you know flounder one of those years, forget to bring it to Peter that year. You could screw it up and have to start over again. So. Yeah, you can so, notice. Yeah. I think that's the balance between, you know, the, a lot of people have the desire to have a bonsai tree now, which we all know is not going to happen typically. We have to be well, in this for you, the long you can have Well, you can have a tree now. You can. It, it's not going to be a, a, a show winner or, right. or a tree that, right. you know. Well, Peter, Peter, it, Peter's concept really is you're going to build a tree. It's going to take you yeah. 10 years. Right. And So it's the argument for having multiple trees because yeah. you can do a few of the Peter way. Yeah. You can do a few the, uh, the way that you said. We're going to yeah. have some on my benches in my yard that look pretty nice. They yep. look pretty yep. decent. But then I'm oh. going to build this one and make it yep. really good. I mean, so you, so you learn all these different approaches when you work with all these different guys. And, yeah. you know, different teachers all have different approaches. For sure. And there are some teachers out there who will take a piece of material and say, well, I can make a pretty nice looking tree out of this with what you have here. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, 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 you know, if you don't want to take the extreme step, that's what Sutton will do. Sutton will take any piece of material, and I got to tell you, man, that man will make it into a masterpiece, and you're like, holy cow, where did that come from? Right. And he didn't have to sit it back for, for five years. I mean, the tree looks really good when he's done, and now your next two, three, four years just make it look better and Even better and better. better. Yeah. That approach works pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. You don't need to always take it back to nothing take and up. literally start it from scratch. Sure, sure. I've seen really nice trees built yeah. out of uh, material that's, wild mm-hmm. and peter does it too actually when you give him a conifer mm-hmm. he'll do that with a conifer sure uh, you know he'll still try to keep the branches that are, are good and force you to grow more in the right spots and stuff but right. he can he can still develop a, a, a nice conifer using existing foliage too for the spring solstice tim talks about repotting including the idea that perhaps we are repotting too much or too soon we can't have the discussion without talking about some of the bonsai shuffle going on as well. We have not had good success starting repotting too soon. I don't know if I told you about this either, but a lot of people, I mean, I, I think Dale and Sue and a bunch of others, they start potting in February. Mm-hmm. We've tried it. We don't like it. What's been the biggest downfall for February repotting? And I know what, it just depends on species, of one, course, one, as it always we, does. We, we feel that what we've done when we've, <clears throat> when we've potted stuff early, yeah. okay, you, you take it in, in a warm place and you, you pot it, and then you put it back into its Cold dormancy frame. place. Dormancy place, yeah. Which you didn't change the temperature or nothing. You just kind of put it back there where it was dormant because the rest of the trees around it that you're not potting are supposed to stay dormant yet, right? right? Sure. So it's like we did some work on it, some major work on it, and we put it back and said, here, stand still. Yeah. Stand still. Don't do nothing yet because we're not ready. Yeah, we just did all this major stuff, but yeah. don't do anything else. So it didn't feel right, okay? okay? And the trees didn't like it. Yeah. Okay, so our feeling is that when you repot, you've got to be on that cusp of, when I, when I put it back, it's either in the cold frame that the temperature's going to go up and go something's going to move forward, or it's ready to go outside. Right. Because that time period where you just did work and you bought it back and now you made it sit still for another month, two months, whatever it takes before we can get them outside... It slowed the tree down, sure. and we didn't have very good success. So, Is there a difference between younger versus more mature trees, like trees in development versus refinement, or just across the board? I, I, suppose it, good? I suppose it would be, you know, if you did like a, a major 
uh, more major root uh, work. If you just did a light repot, maybe. I don't know. Once you cut the roots, what do you want to happen? You want the growth to start to push out now. Fast. You, you want something you want to something go right away. You don't want to just like, okay, I'll, I'm okay. I'll just wait another month. That's fine. Weeks, yeah, that's okay. It didn't, it didn't feel right, and the trees didn't react right for us. I mean, if we could repot them, bring them in here to repot them, and then put them here or on a heat tray or a heat to, you know, gravel bed or something where the heat would come up a little bit, yeah, and they would go forward, mm -hmm. I think we'd have better luck. We'd like it better. I lost some larches last year, and I think I repotted them too soon. Our preference is to be able to repot it and put it out in the shade under the trees. And then if it's going to get cold, well, we'll put it on wagons. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got, I got 20 wagons. Mm -hmm. And I'll put them on a wagon or a trailer, mm -hmm. and I'll shuttle them back and forth sure. to, to keep them going forward rather than let them stand still. Yeah. We always, in either MBS or other people I talk to with bonsai, we end up talking about the bonsai shuffle. So yeah. <laughs> bringing trees in and out, you know, what... T tell me your thoughts on that. And what, we, we, what works? I mean, we, we, again, used, we used to do that hauling back and forth too, and it gets old real fast. When you have a lot of trees, yes. It gets, it gets old real fast. So what you do is you, okay, you get wagons, first of all. Uh, we decided well, wagons is a good way because I can move it easier. I can move, you know, six trees instead of picking up each tree. So I bought a lot of wagons, and I got trailers that I put stuff on, and I'm not afraid to take it out, put it on the trailer, and shuttle it back and forth to an enclosed space with more heat or opportunity to heat it or whatever. I mean, I used to put it out under a tree and say, I'm done, it's going to stay there. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to the approach, well, I'd, I'd uh, you know, I'd sheet plastic around it and do all this stuff trying to, you know, keep it the couple ground of, warm. Couple degrees whatever, warm. whatever I could do to, I'm not going to move this stuff again. Mm -hmm. The wagons came next. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd put it out uh, and then I was like, shit, I should be bringing it in because it's going to be 16. That's too cold. Shuttle all them trees in there and shuttle them back and forth. I was like, oh, that's enough of that. Mm -hmm. Then I tried the plastic. I didn't like that either because I don't know if that was as effective. It's still, you didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. The wagon approach worked really good for me, and I'll continue the wagon approach because I can get it out, and I can move, you know, I can move a lot of trees quick, put them in a garage, throw a radiator here in the garage, and not mm -hmm. have to worry about it like I had to worry about it underneath the trees. So the shuffle, I'd say the the best way we've come up to solve the shuffle is the wagon. The wagons. The wagons. And, and what do you think is... Or what is the primary benefit? I mean, besides the fact that you can't replace sun, and you, know, you don't want them in the sun right away anyway, but you can't replace the brightness of even indirect sun compared to in a cold frame. What's the benefit of getting them out there and doing that shuffle for a couple of weeks? I mean, you know, well, it, it went, once, once, once they've started, once you've repotted them, once you want them to start, you don't want them to slow down. You don't want them to slow down. I mean, that, that's why they tell you to repot at that time of year. Yeah. Things are, are starting, okay? So full of energy. Right and, and it's going to go. I mean, if you make too hard a cutback, even in spring, it, it's the right time. It will, it will not even skip a beat. It'll just yeah. go. But if you had that, you know, too early, and now it's got to sit there and think about it. It's like, oh, shit, I got a lot of roots now that are gone. Where the hell are they? Yeah. And it ain't going to make it because it's, it's got to sit there and think about it. I wanted to not even think about it. And that's the reason for the, you know, they, they tell you. Everybody in Bonsai tells you that's the only time you can do work is the spring. Well, you can't get it all done, so you got to start coming up with ways to extend that spring. Yeah. And, well, that's, whatever you come up with, wagons works pretty good. Yeah. And if, if you had a space, mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you listen to Ryan's podcast at all, I mean, I, I think when they do repots on trees, they go on that uh, heat sink of uh, gravel. Yeah. 
if he's if he's worried about a tree, he's cut off a lot of roots. Yep. He, he's worried about the growth. I think he puts it on heat. He don't put it back in the coal frame just where it was. I think he puts it on the heat sink or does whatever well, he can. In the greenhouse or the heat thing. Yeah, yep. it's, I just he wants it to move episode. forward too. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense to me. For sure. For so sure. He doesn't have our cold to deal with quite, but uh, you know. he still has roots that are going to need that well, warmth. And just, just what it comes down to is you're, you're trying to take advantage of uh, a push, whether it's a natural push from nature, yeah. or otherwise you've got to create that little push yeah standing still i don't think it's good yeah oh the spring is of course the huge time of year so if you've got a lot of trees you really have to organize what you want to get done in the right timeline to try to get as much done right i mean try I, to. that's try your to. main thing try to i mean a lot of people say we don't repot enough okay but not as often like every we, we, couple we, years we, we, we don't repot as often as a lot of people do okay and first started taking a lot of workshops people said you had to repot trees every year every other year peter is one of the first people that started coming that started saying no, you don't need to repot this yet. How long has it been in the pot? Eight years? Oh, you don't need to repot this yet. Peter, uh, if you've been to enough of his sessions, mm-hmm. he, he, he'll, he'll build this graph and he'll show you uh, that what happens when you repot. Right. Okay? Your repot stresses and sets the tree still. Okay? Yep. Then your tree starts to, to go, to go, to go, to go. And every time you repot it, when it's like here, you set it back to that. Set it back. So he says you push the repot to the edge. Okay. Tell it's starting to go down enough. Yeah. Where you, yeah. where you, if you, where you can back, actually see some same spot, but yep. just on the other end of the spectrum. So, you know, pot, repot every two or three years. I mean, certain trees that grow roots really fast. Yeah. Maybe yeah. bald cypress, something like that. You got a pot often. Yeah. Sure. I think a lot of people are continually keeping their trees in that state of yeah. stress from repot because they repot so often. Too often. Too often. Yeah. And you're starting to hear from more and more teachers that you don't need to repot as often as, you think. We also learned it from uh, trees that we buy from Moss Ishii. He's a shimpaku grower down in California. Okay. I mean, I bought trees from Moss, and they're like pot-bound. So but, he had them in there a long time. But look at the foliage. It's tight. It doesn't grow like a weed. It, and that, and it that's grows, because... It grows slow. Right. And Peter also talks this way, you know. What have you done with this p- process of getting it repotted? You're slowing the tree down. You're putting akadam in the mix. You're keeping it wetter so it's slower. Mm-hmm. What kind of growth would you rather have on your bonsai? Slow, steady growth or this rampant shit that you got to cut off all the time? Can't keep up with it. Branch is getting too fat. Peter is really kind of, I mean, that's one of the things I really liked when I first started working with Peter. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, you don't need to repot this yet. This, this is at a, getting at a stage where right now you can control the growth. It's the kind of growth you want. You want to have, yeah. And you you know, yeah. but he stresses this, you know, you get to this far end. This is the, on the edge. Mm-hmm. Now you got to pay attention. Now you, you have yeah. to. Yeah. And so there's, a, there's trees that we got in the, in the collection right now where we, we just experienced it this winter because I, I, earlier I was telling you about the watering of the whole frame. Yep. Okay. We do about it once a month in the big room, oftener in the little room. Yeah. The big room is tighter. It's too cold. And I had COVID at the beginning of the, uh, January too. So we skipped a week or two. Oh. And like I was saying, the trees are getting too dry in this big room. Okay, we got to water it. We got to water it. It was too cold outside. I can't leave the door open. Yeah. So we pushed it a little bit longer. And I don't know, you know what happens when you get a tree too dry? <laughs> you start trying to water it and everything just sheets off the top. Everything just sheets You're off the top. You're not getting anything in the, in the root ball. No. So we got to that point this year where I'd say it was at least two weeks past when we should have watered. Oh. The middle shelves and the bottom shelves aren't as bad. Right. It's our top shelf. Are dry. So you look on that top shelf and say, oh, these are dry as a bone. You sprinkle water on there and it's just sheeting off the top, sheeting off the top, sheeting yeah. off the top. 
And all of a sudden, your watering process now took, you know, three times as long because you just had to drip it, drip it, drip it to get it sucked into that rip ball to soak it. Yep. Yep. So we had to do that. And then went went out there right away the next weekend and did it again to try to keep the rip ball saturated again so it wouldn't, uh, you know, dry out us again. But that's, I think, a key thing that you have to pay attention in the wintertime that your root ball doesn't get to that point. Okay. If you've got a few trees, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you just dunk them in a bucket. Yeah. Let, let them bubble and soak, okay? <laughs> a few trees. But when you've got the whole tray full on top and you can't take every tree off the top and stick it in the pot and let it bubble till it soaks the root ball again, yep. you've got to water from the top. Yeah. Now it makes the job a lot harder. Yeah. So. And I know uh, when I watch your videos, you're, are you out there squirt bottling uh, like every week with yours in the cold room or um one to two weeks is so, a good so, well so, this, this winter it's been every week it's been dry okay so so i'm so making sure is, is that like what you'd call a uh is that like a like a like a baby watering versus a full-scale watering or do you do a full-scale watering and then do baby waterings every once in a while um i do a baby every once in a while like daily or weekly not or something daily, like that not daily I'm, i mean i'm I'm out there twice a week for sure. On the mm-hmm. weekends, of course, I'm always out there. But then there's a day in the week I'll go out there and check, and there's a couple of them on the top shelf that are drier. I'll mm-hmm. give them just a little squirt. Yeah. But then it's the weekend time when I'm out there really yeah. thoroughly looking. I'm giving be- a heavy, be- a heavy be- water. Beca- because we got so many trees and it's hard to monitor each individual tree, right. we like to do that you know, solid watering yep. on the little room yep. every week, every two weeks for sure. Yep. And the big room every month, solid watering. Yeah. And then we don't really go in there and you know, doctor up all these little trees or anything. We just want everything to stay okay till the next month, yeah, and we can yeah. go in the water. Yeah, I mean, we'll go in there and keep tabs, uh, you know, on the trays and look at the uh, soil surface and make sure it still looks like it's uh, not dried up. Yep. And we don't like to water like you know part of the room, you know, yeah. do this bench or something like that. Yeah. It's like the whole room right. has gotten watered, so we yeah. know we didn't forget anything. We're not skipping this. We're not skipping that. Yeah. We want to water the whole room. Mm-hmm. Know it's good for two, three weeks or a month, and yeah. we do it all again. Yeah. And I have so few trees compared to you, so I can do anything yeah. I want compared to you, right? I have a lot more flexibility yeah. as it gets larger. As, as long as you can get at them too. But I mean, it looks like your cabin room there. You'd have to stretch I'm into the back. I'm to stretching get, pretty far to, to, get, to get those guys. Couple, yeah, yep. that one's a little so bit So it gets to the point where, I don't know, I was going to mention to you when I, when I look at your video, do you put any gravel trays in there or anything like that? There's a couple that have gravel. Have the, the garage has all gravel trays, or all trays. There's no gravel in them. Put gravel in it. Tra- yeah. put, put gravel in it so it sits up in the air, and yeah. then the gravel can have some water in it, yeah, as long as you don't get too much humidity. Right. No, and it's been so dry this year, I think that would work beautifully. We, uh, we have uh, quite a few trays on the smaller stuff on the top level in the big room. We went somewhere and our small room, we never had trays on it either. Okay. Maybe we had some trays here and there. Yeah. But before we went, I put boot trays with, you know, half inch of gravel yep. under every pot basically in that room, except for the big ones on the bottom. They stayed moist a lot longer. So what happens is this was the room that, uh, you know, we'd water more often. Right. Okay. So my theory was, okay, I don't want this room to dry out in a week now. Right. It's going to stretch it to a week and a half. Sure. And so we'll water that room until we see water in those gravel trays. Yeah. And then... The trees will have water in their pots, and some of that water is going to still maybe come up into the pots a little bit, and it's going to keep the the room from yeah. drying out more. And I think it, uh, I think it's not a bad idea to have trees on gravel trays uh, in no, the winter. I I agree. Uh, everything in my plant room is on a tray. I, I mean, don't have a lot of gravel. In if you got gravel. tropicals, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All our, all our tropicals are sitting on uh, on water. Yeah. Not necessarily gravel in, the, in that room, but no. uh, water. What else is important in spring? What else well, is important it's, here? It, it's, a, it's a shuffle to keep them in the sun, out of the sun, too. Right. Yeah. Everything that comes out of the cold room, we don't put it on the bench right away. I, I've been afraid of doing that. Gay, yeah. gay I was just, you know, 
I used to put stuff right on the bench. She always says, well, I, I've never been comfortable taking it from a room with, you know, really no sun, just some fluorescent lights and some LED lights and throwing right. it at the sun. Right. Uh, I feel it's going to turn to crisp. Everything comes out of our cold rooms, and we put it under that big pine tree next to the garage. Yep. Kind of a big circle underneath there. Makes it easy to water it all at once. Yep. Keeps it kind of shady, but gives it sun. And then, you know, we'll put certain trees in the middle. Yep. Uh, real up close. More protection. That were more, more, uh, for, more for temperature, more shade. Yep. And then as we get to the pines or the junipers, that stuff that's on the outside yeah. can take a little more cold. Sure. Take a little more wind, more, sun, whatever. More wind, sun. And then it all sits there for, you know, probably a month after we take it out of the cold rooms. Yeah. And then we're, while we're doing this, we're sorting what we're going to repot. We got these methods. Uh, I don't know if I've showed you my, my golf tees, but we, we try to golf tee stuff. Okay. White golf tee means it's got wire on. Right. Uh, multiple uh, white golf tees means wire on, wire getting cutter, wire. Three, three golf trees, four golf tees, get the wire off. Okay. <laughs> nice. red, red golf tees, repot. Uh, nice. So we got yeah. you know, kind of a little system right. that you look at the tree, there's a, a red quick or glance a tells quick you glance. what you got to do. So we, we'll, we'll either do that in the fall when we put stuff away, or when they come out, mm-hmm. this tree is not draining well. This tree is not draining well. Stick a red golf tee. Those are yep. repots first. Yeah. First repots. Yeah. So we'll have, and then I usually like, okay, Gabe, we're going to repot today. Pick, you know, 10 trees that you want to repot. Yeah. So we'll pull out our 10 trees. Hopefully they've got golf tees or, you know, she's already said this tree doesn't drain well. This right. got to be repotted. And then we'll bring our 10 trees a piece in and, you know, repot one gay tree, one Tim tree, one gay tree, right. one Tim tree <laughs> until we down. get, until we get really screwed up. And then it's like five Tim trees in a row. Cause I got too many, <laughs> but she likes to do one of hers, one of mine. Yeah. And she's pick her cleaner out of it. Okay. Very meticulous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very particular. That, that, right. I, I hand that over to her on her trees and my trees <laughs> because she likes the, the root work. Sure. Sure. She, li- she likes to pick the uh, uh, root work. And I do the, the pot prep, uh, okay. soil mix and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. we pot it together and uh, we got a pretty good system. It works pretty good for us. So You mentioned before when we were talking about not wanting to use a lot of chemicals indoors and liking to be organic as much as possible anyway. Do you use any systemic uh, stuff to prevent fungal, anything like that in the spring? Or are you just getting them out in the sun and just trying we, to get them out uh, and grow and push we, them? We may pull out the uh, fungicide in spring because a lot of times that's when the fungus shows up. Okay. Okay. If you've experienced it, we've we had... Uh, Trees that in the cold room mm-hmm. look green as can be. Mm-hmm. And then they come out and something happens in the sun that maybe instigates the, the start of the fungus. Okay. So we've had fungus start when it's sitting under that pine tree. Really? Yeah. yeah. And the tree looked great inside. Sure. So you're like, what the hell's going on here? This yeah. looks fantastic it's inside. It's now. And it's yeah. Like it should be, it should be loving it. Should be loving and life. I mean, it could be, you know, uh, could be wind. It could be anything, but... A lot of times I think it has been a fungus issue, especially on chimpakus. Mm-hmm. Don't hit it too hard with chemicals, but we might uh, be thinking about fungicides on certain trees in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we put them away, we try to put uh, either some neem oil on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done that lime sulfur mm-hmm. that Peter recommends that. We, yeah. we used to do that. Now it's hard, hard to find the lime sulfur. You mm-hmm. can get the, the horse uh, veterinarian version of it mm-hmm. that we haven't found yet but we need to find that because i think that actually was a a good method mm-hmm. of prepping your trees to put away yeah given that lime sulfur and the neem oil seems to work too uh mm-hmm. i think there's certain trees you're not supposed to put neem oil on but mm-hmm. we figure we should you know treat them with something before we put them away and mm-hmm. so neem oil is what we typically use in the winter 
And we'll use it in the spring too, of course. Sure. So besides the repotting, root work, when you repot and everything, what, what work do you do in the spring with trees? And as far as pruning, cutting, are you just all letting everything just push out in the spring? Do you do yeah, any no, we, we, only we, with repots? We, we still try to cut back too. Okay. We still try to cut back. We, we want to try to maintain whatever shape you know, yeah. you've had in the tree. And Especially the more older refined ones. Yeah. For the summer solstice, Tim shares how we work to keep our trees from getting out of control and his thoughts on pests and fungus control. What is your main thing to take care of your bonsai in the middle of summer? Because now they're all in full sun, they're yeah, on the benches, now, now they're, they're in their glory. Now, now you just got to kind of uh, try to keep them from uh, getting out of control. They don't necessarily get a detail prune, you know, often, but they'll get the, the, the cutbacks so they maintain a shape. Sure. Uh, or the pinch. I mean, I'll pinch and cut back. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll go out and, you know, pinch maples every time I walk by them. Pinch yeah. boxwood every time I walk by See them. See something here, pinch it. Yeah. See something I there. mean, it's, I've, I've told you on, on my boxwoods, the way I keep continuous new green foliage coming mm -hmm. is every time that stuff shoots and got these little sprigs sticking up, I pinch off, pinch off, pinch off. And uh, you know, maybe not every mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. but all that pinching just keeps on sending new new yeah. growth. It keeps on instigating new growth. Maples, you know, same thing, try to keep the yeah. the, the merry stems from getting too long. Yeah. And a lot of times that's just like, yeah, pinching off the the start of a merry stem. Yeah. Not necessarily even a cutback. Sure. If I if I let it go too long and it got too coarse, now I need yeah. to bring the scissors out. But you just kinda you walk around the yard and you kind of uh well oh, that's sticking out too far, that's sticking out too far, that's sticking out too far. Exactly. I don't necessarily bring it in the in the right. workshop and, and spend an hour working spend on an it. Hour work on it. Yeah. Gay, Gay will like to do that. She'll set up the card table out in the middle of the yard and uh, she'll work on, a you know, work on trees in more detail. Yeah. And she always gives me crap because I don't necessarily do that. But The last um, time I was with Peter T. In, in, in our group, in our fundamentals group, um, the conversation of shade cloth came up. So now, you know, you're on a property with, you know, plenty of trees and you've got, you know, some sun areas and some shade areas. Have you found anything with... Are you putting trees in shade at all? Do you, I mean, how are you, how, how are you we, approaching we, shade? We, we have never uh, had any shade cloth. Yeah. What we've done, okay, there's uh, our benches, our pedestals are all kind of in different spots with different amounts of shade. Right. And we've placed certain trees in certain spots right. as long as we've had them. I yeah. mean, it's, it's actually pretty easy. When trees come out of our code room, they go back to the spot that they've been in the last 15 years because that's... That's their spot. That's their spot seems to be their light. Yeah. It seems to be their, you know, amount of protection. And I mean, occasionally something we can put on a bench, you know, more sun than we want. And right. then we'll notice a crisp leaf or something like that. So yeah. it's like, okay, that's got to get moved a little bit because sure. it's too harsh right here. Yeah. But that's basically what we got. We've got different areas in you our display area where we can spread it out yeah. according to what the, the plant the needs tree. and what can take. Yeah. Shade cloth. Would I ever use some? I was just surprised to hear us talking in Minnesota about shade cloth. But yeah. I, I really was like, wow, maybe I, I should consider that more than I have in the past. Or keeping my trees more in the shade than I thought. Yeah. I mean, even now, that. Now, when we, okay, that, that section of our display area has, has uh, all these little spots where we can do it. Yeah. When we put stuff on the other side, that's full sun almost. There's a couple benches that we got closer to our mom and dad's uh, house where, you know, it's a little bit of shade. But that's harsher. Yeah. And... That gets more wind out there. Mm -hmm. That could be a spot where, you know, shade cloth might be something mm -hmm. to think about. Yeah. But again, at this point, 
those trees are just out there kind of uh, grown wild. They're not the, uh, our nicer trees are on one side, trees that are in stages and just you They're know, not stock. the refined ones They're yet. They're not but refined like, yet. But you also said before too, is you don't want trees to go wild at certain stages because it just yeah. gets wild and leggy yeah. and, and internodes that are bad. Uh, I, I wonder how, you know, shade cloth would hold up out there because that's a little windier section too. Sure. But Might if we had a fence. Beat up. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've never had, I've never bought any shade cloth. Mm -hmm. Never bought any shade cloth and haven't really used any. We've, we've experimented with, uh, it's like a netting. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Early, early on when we put our, our outside trees away, yeah. uh, we thought they got too much sun in the wintertime. And so we would put this, it's basically like a netting fabric that's got, you know, quarter inch holes. Sure. It's going to cut down the sun a little Cut bit. down the sun. Sure. Only problem is it trapped a lot of snow. And all of a sudden, now you had this weight issue for sure. where it bogged the uh, the net down and mm -hmm. would be hanging down farther on your tree. So we only used that maybe a, a one season. I was like, I don't know if I like that. Yeah. And then I also did uh, one year where I put uh, like lattice, like a two by four or lattice over the top yeah. in, a, in a wood form that you know could take a little could snow. Could take more snow. Yeah, and then it would melt and kind of just drift. But again, the area we put those trees, the outside area that's got the... The black you have a good balance it. of sun and shade already. Yeah, it's it's in a kind of a shaded area and mm -hmm. hasn't been really a problem either. So, so you talked a lot about the critters about in the cold frame. <laughs> any other pests uh, in the summertime, any time of year, really? Any pests that you deal with, and how do you deal with them? As far as the the bugs and the critters, no, see. not not the not the raccoons, yeah. <laughs> the squirrels. But you're talking about the the more, bug bugs. More the bug bugs on the, that are eating our trees. You have any issues? We up we, here? we have issues. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I wouldn't say it's major. Yeah. Uh, I'd say fungus is what we fight the most. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, if you got enough air movement in your your area where you have your trees, yeah, the bugs don't seem to be too bad. I mean, you'll get you'll get uh, some scale. Yeah. You'll get this, and you'll have to you know spray for scale. We use uh, either the neem or Gay's got uh, seven and malathion. We're not fanatical about the sprays. No. Yeah. No, I'm. I we, don't we, do we'll, much. We'll, and, we'll once or, in a while bring a tree to somebody and they'll say, "Well, this has got this, has got that." So you can just spray it with that. Mm -hmm. And Peter's recommended, you know, numerous types of sprays that we've bought. Sure. Uh, trying to get rid of scale or yeah. you know whatever. I mean, I've had some bad scale on a juniper, some mm -hmm. Rocky Mountain, and it oh. uh, it was bogging it down. And Peter set us up with uh, what he recommended for that, and I, I wanted to control it because. Uh, the juniper did come back. Unless you really see the tree like going downhill, mm -hmm. I don't get too worried about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't do a like a, a routine spray for anything, right. a preventive spray or whatever. Peter talked about that, you know, initially when he started working with us too. Uh, you know, that you'd do a preventative spray on your, your trees, you know, a couple times a year. Yeah. But I think that kind of creates your own set of problems because all of a sudden that spray don't work anymore. So then you yeah. got to continually change it to a new kind of spray. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about mixing it up already anyway. Yeah. And then you got to spray all the time because it's like, yeah. you know, rotate sprays or whatever. So it's all of a sudden feels like you're going to be spraying mm -hmm. more than you need to. Yeah. And I, I almost think he sort of changed that uh, where he doesn't necessarily say that he does a preventive spray three times a year either. He does watch what's going on mm -hmm. and spray when he thinks it needs it. Mm -hmm. I wonder what Ryan does. I really have to ask Gay if, if he's a. Uh, uh, like a, a diligent 
puts on his chemical suit and goes around and sprays his as entire collection. Right. As uh, a Bjorn, Bjorn does. Bjorn does. I've seen some of his stuff where, yeah, there's a couple times a year where as a preventative, they're, they're using some of the systemic stuff where they can, they're going to prevent it. So they hope they never, never see it and have to deal with it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of the insecticidal soaps that are more organic and a little bit less toxic and all that kind of stuff. But um, I tried one. But he probably uses the, uh, some of the serious stuff. stuff. I, would, I, yeah. I, I think it's yeah. the heavier stuff. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's all goes back to if you have a healthy tree, None of this is a discussion anymore, right? If you can keep your trees healthy, no, no. you're pretty, that's, pretty, probably, you're pretty that's probably the most important thing right there is if you can keep it from getting a pest or if it's uh, strong enough to resist the pest, if it would hit it, right? hopefully it wouldn't do as much damage. So Yeah, yeah. healthy trees are going to be the, the best other way. For the fall solstice, Tim talks about work done on the trees, fall fertilization, and the big chore of getting all those trees tucked away for another cold winter. Even, even when we're putting trees away, there's, yeah. you know, massive cutback being done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can show you pictures when we're, when we're putting away trees up here. We, we've, we've pushed our limits. We, we, yeah. We've also kind of, you know, there's a certain time of year you want to get them put away yeah. so you don't have to get stuck in the snow. Right. Okay. You don't want to get caught. So we, we, we always thought we had a pretty good handle, but it usually, we're pushing it because we don't like to put them away for the same reasons we talked about. We don't like to put them in that room and stop them right. when they still could be doing something. If we can get two more weeks out of them. Yeah. Mm. Although that's what gets you in trouble, so you got to be careful with that. <laughs> You're gambling. <laughs> so we'll get, you know, uh, we start with, you know, certain trees. We put away, you know, boxwoods, azaleas, and stuff first. Yeah. And we, that's usually, uh, we're, we're more particular about the time, and we're mm -hmm. not going to get caught on those trees. Sure. The tropicals and the, uh, the boxwoods, the azaleas, yeah. we don't want to get caught. Yeah. You're taking care of the trees that really need yep. it. And then, you know, weekend or two after that, it's like, okay, deciduous, small deciduous, yep. big deciduous start getting put away. Sure. That gets put away. Now the conifers and the pines, we're not quite as. Those are the ones that we, we push. If and what always happens. Yeah. They're going to be okay. What always happens with us there is, okay, all of a sudden here it's going to get ice or going to get snow. All the conifers that aren't put away yet huh. are put on trailers. Yeah, right. And so you still can move them. And they're in the, and they're in the garage so that I can either keep the root pads from freezing up mm -hmm. so that we can continue to clean them up right. and put them away. And that last, you know, weekend or two of putting away trees usually isn't a whole lot of fun here. Uh, I mean, I'll show you a picture sometime. Terry always comes up and helps us. Okay. Like he always comes up and helps. He's he just, I mean, we're doing his trees. Sure, he, sure. he just is going to come up and help us. Yeah. He enjoys, we enjoy getting together with him. He enjoys getting together with us. Yeah. So we set up uh, in the, the garage that's facing there. Yeah. And... Uh, Sometimes when it's not too bad, they just sit in the garage. The last two years we've, we've pushed it. It's been too cold. And I just want them to be as comfortable as I can make Terry and Gay. Because yeah. they're doing the picking, they're doing the cleaning. I'm, right. I'm hauling them back and forth to the cold room. Right, and, right. and spraying them with neem oil. Yeah. So I got two, two of those Nipco uh, propane heaters and I got like eight cans of propane and I'm <laughs> blowing propane at their legs. Yeah. Terry's got his, his, uh, his uh, Eskimo hat on. Yeah. But I mean, they're, they're, get, they're getting toasted from behind and they're pretty warm. I mean, they still complain. It's too cold. Not really. Gay complaints, but. Up North Bones. And, they, and they, they clean them up. Yeah. And then I haul a wagon, spray the neem oil, and get them into the room as quick as I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, in between, I'm, I'm still helping pick leaves. I, I used to, when I do it, I'd put, I wasn't afraid to put away a tree without, with leaves on it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gay don't like that. Gay don't like that. The leaves got to come off. And it, 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 keeps your cold room looking a lot better. I mean, yeah. at my house, I'd, 
I'd put them away, leaves would fall off in two weeks, and I'd come in with a super vac and I'd vacuum them all up. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it worked fine. Yeah. But. And you uh, really want to be careful of the fungus inside, oh yeah. too. So oh, yeah. You, you want to clean yep. them up. So, Gay, Gay has just instigated that we need to clean them up, and cleaning up means taking off every leaf. Yeah. Every leaf comes off. So, her and Terry are picking leaves. I'm picking leaves, too. When, when, I, when I'm not putting away a tree, I'm, I'm, picking, I'm leaves. picking leaves. And we. We got a freaking leaf pile of bonsai leaves. Ready for a little bonfire. You betcha. And then bonsai fire. When they get bare leafed, that's when they get the, the spray and get hauled and put away on the shelf. And I'm the, I'm the stacker. I'm, yeah. uh, if you ever travel with me, you, you know that I bring too much shit, but I have a way to fed it everywhere I go. So I'm <laughs> the stacker. Your Tetris is on. You can get so, it in there. So I'm the stacker. That's and right. I, I fit it all in. Every year we seem like we have more trees than we had before. And I get nervous every year. It's like, well, how the hell am I going to fit these in there? And, you manage and then we, it. we've lost a few along yeah, the way. You lost those black pine, so it opens a space too. But yeah. every year our room is still full. Yeah. So yeah, and Any we other? got and we got a lot of trees. So it's like, yeah, you got to expect it to be full, and you got to be a little bit. Uh, you got you got to make spaces work. Before that clean out process, you you kind of jump to fall. Um, are you a heavy fertilizer in fall? People fertilize a lot more in the fall than they used to. Is that true? Does oh, that yeah. ring, that it's, rings true, it's, right? It's the best time to do it, really. Yeah. I mean, if you if you talk to a lot of people, I mean, Ryan says you, you don't need to fertilize the trees. The only time you really need to fertilize them is to get them strong for for spring, fall, or yeah, in the fall for spring. Yeah, give them that enough boost to get through winter. Mm-hmm. I mean. It's not for growth. Plants can take care of themselves, really. I mean, yeah, we're, right. we're obviously doing stuff to these plants, so we're, you know, trying to give them a little extra. But right. there's probably enough stuff blowing in, you know, getting deposited on there's actually being fertilized in spite of us. You know, you always hear, they, they tell you you should be fertilizing every month and you should be uh, changing your tea bags, you know, three and four times a year. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm that diligent. No, I'm, I'm lucky if I can get the tea bags on once, maybe twice, and I'm not removing a tea bag in between here. I'm just leaving them all on there until right. they're totally exhausted. And, and you then, have more than 10 trees, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then of course I do the, occasional I'll do the Miracle Gold spray or the fish yeah. emulsion spray. So yeah. it's, it's, I'm fertilizing, but it's like, I don't necessarily have a, like a strict regimen, like sure. maybe some people got, or sure. I don't have a system that's every time I water. I've done that too. Has there been some fertilizing for you that has, you've gone like, whoa, like, because I, I know seaweed has been popular in the fish emulsion. I mean, I like fish. Do you, you I, like that? I, I like that, fish. You've fish, seen results? Fish is good, uh, uh, I mean, especially on tropicals. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good on all. I mean, it, yeah. I don't know if you notice these big tanks out here. Okay. That's something Gabe picked up at work, and we haven't instigated it yet either, but we got a pump. She bought a pump. We're going to uh, set those up under a gutter. Uh, somewhere's retrieve rainwater, rainwater, strain it, whatever, you know. And then we're going to have tanks of fertilizer. And Gay wants to, like, maybe once a week water from that pump, yeah. from that tank. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. We haven't instigated yet. Again, it's another one of those ideas oh, that we got that. Yeah, uh, we'd have more rainwater. Yep. That would be awesome. But I mean, there's all, you know, water issues too, you know. We, we, we feel like we got pretty good water up here. Mm-hmm. Gay's never had it checked, but uh, we got. Uh, your trees are doing okay. There's, there's three wells up here that we water from two of them. Okay. And it uh, doesn't seem to have a lot of deposits on the pots. So, I mean, I think the water's pretty good. We've never had it checked. Some people say, you know, there's more stuff that you got to worry about uh, other than the pH and the, yeah. the lime and the calcium deposits. But right. it seems to be all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think our water's terrible. Mm-hmm. My, my, my water at my house was terrible when I kept my trees there. I mean, I'd get white crust. Mm-hmm. So I get, you yeah. could see it. Water's a little hard in Woodbury. Yep. <laughs> I do know that. For and sure. I, you know, 
I could have set up some kind of collection system there too, but I never did. Yeah. I mean, Jeff's got a pretty good system set up where he collects rainwater. Yeah. And I'm uh, modeling something similar to what he did. I mean, I it, it's barrels. probably a good idea. Yeah. Because I think you're probably, although yeah. rainwater is hardly trustable anymore either. It's not. You it know, comes it off. It comes on, off your roof, and you know what it's yeah. kind of stuff you got in your shingles. It's like you never know. Yeah. So what? What water's better? I've heard quotes in other podcasts from other non-bonsai things talking about how seventy-five percent of all water that comes down to our earth and is has something, something in it, in it yeah. with all the and chemicals from all for the a lot farming. Of your, for a lot of years, what did Van do? He had those big, uh, big vats all over, mm-hmm. and he would hand water out of a watering can. He'd yeah. fill the vats or sure. the, the big bowls, okay, and then the, let the water settle. Yep, and then he'd water. And then water with that. And you know, if you sure. got a few trees and you got a lot of time, you're retired. That's fine. You can do that. I've always watered with a garden hose, and I, I don't think I'm going to be changing anytime soon. So, <laughs> you got to have the right system, yep. and yeah, some some of us don't get there as soon as others. As Tim and I wound down our conversation, we talked about native trees, some tips for the bonsai beginner and the merits of joining a club like the Minnesota Bonsai Society. What is your thoughts on native trees? You know, we're in the upper Midwest and, you know, we watch all these masters and professionals out on the coast. They have all these wonderful nurseries and Ryan's out there in Portland and the weather's different. And we, you know, we got this upper Midwest short growing season. So speak to native trees. Is there anything here in the upper Midwest that you would tell people to go to? If you've ever been to any workshops, the trees that the people get the most excited about are the native trees that someone collected. Yeah. I mean, collecting nur- trees are nur- huge. Nur- nursery stock is cool. Okay. It's, it's good stuff to work on. It's accessible. It, it's accessible and it's, you know. But a collected tree. But a collected tree is like, holy cow, holy cow. Everybody's like, where'd you get that? Well, I had to go collect it or I had to pay someone who did collect it. It's the holy grail, and isn't it? And what, 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 so why is that? What are we, what are we trying to do is in bonsai? It, is it a trend, right? Well, we want an old tree. We, we want, want an old tree. Old. We want a tree that Mother Nature has had her hand in. We want that tree that looks like it's 100 years old. Yep. But do people want to spend 30 years creating that? That's what my journey's about. Yep. And I love it. Yep. I love the journey. Yep. I don't want a tree tomorrow that's done, personally. No. Well, I think it'd be a fun trip. But, but it's, a, it's a heck of a deal to get a head start. Well, yeah, absolutely. To have a tree that's got, you know, that uh, natural character that now you can just uh, develop some new foliage to fit with that character. Sure. Yeah, and absolutely. Have, and I have a tree that that's... as well. Are there a couple species here in the upper Midwest that you'd recommend? Or, you know, what, what works here in Minnesota? Well, you know, what's local and kind well, of here see, in this are, region? What do we got native out there? I mean, people love tamaracks. Tamaracks, uh, great to work with. Any, uh, other, any other species come to mind? Uh, Scott's pine is another good species to, to get local. What do you like about the Scots? Or what's the, good about Scots? They've got nice short needles. Nice short needles. Yeah, they've yeah. got nice short needles. Gay's uh, Scots pine, uh, she didn't get it from here, but it's a, you know, Telperian farm tree. Uh, phenomenal trunk. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. She's got to get, get it done so she can put it in a bonsai pot and bring it to the show. Sure. I mean, when she potted that with Boone uh, the first year after she brought it back in 2015, she bought it out at the Artisan's Cup. It was nice when she bought it. Mm-hmm. And when she first repotted with Boone, if you ever repotted with Boone, I mean, Boone is a very meticulous rootwork yeah. uh, digger. Okay. Your base goes from this to this yeah. in one repot with Boone, and you're like, holy cow. Really? Yeah. And, you know, Boone's like, holy cow, this is one of the best Scots pines I've seen. Gay got for, you know, 400 bucks. Yeah. Ain't cheap, but it's a $400 pine that uh, probably bring a lot more than $400 yeah, it's gonna, now. It's going to bring more so, than that, yeah. I've collected the Ponderosa, the Rocky Mountains. 
Uh, yeah. Obviously, they're not from here. They're from the mountains. But yeah, ponderosas have seemed pretty popular yeah. since I've been involved. I don't have any, but uh, they're fun. Yeah. Uh, they got long needles, and so you got to have a bigger tree. Are there any trees you stay away from? I'm not too afraid of any trees. <laughs> and are boxwoods your favorite? I do like boxwoods. Yeah. I, I think I told you boxwoods. I mean, I I think everybody should have boxwood because they're they're a tree that's it's easy to work repotting time. Yeah. It's easy to work seasonal time. Uh, and it's 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 tougher than yeah. nails. It's tougher than nails. You know, after your juniper, go get a couple of boxwood. Those first three trees that I bought on the, the nursery tour, they're tough. I still have them. Used to, yeah. So they're very hardy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of trees that I've lost along the way, but boxwood that I bought on the nursery tour when I was first starting bonsai 30 plus years ago. Yeah. I still got them. They got a they got a they got a nice leaf. Yeah. They got a nice shape initially. Nice bark, uh, and you don't need to be afraid to repot a boxwood. I could trim them. I could put them in a pot, yeah. and they look, and they look really good. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would like to maybe try that one. Of you just have to find a, a nursery that had, uh, you I know, could, 10, 20 of them. Yep, yeah, I need a supplier. What do you tell someone who's getting into this hobby right now, young in the upper Midwest? Well, you're going to kill some trees. <laughs> That's for sure. The green thumb doesn't come overnight. <laughs> and secondly, uh, it, it, it's a it's a problem for every person. You want a tree that looks like a tree, yeah. and so you rush it faster mm-hmm. than you should. I like what you said earlier, and I think it goes to that very, their very topic. And this goes to having maybe a half a dozen trees right off the bat. If you have a half a dozen, tre- dozen trees and you trim one that kind of looks like a tree, you want to look like a bonsai, but then the other ones you're working on and learning yeah. from, have a couple trees and oh, have yeah. both they'll, they'll, tell, they'll tell you in the, in, in the novice workshop, they told us, you should go out and get like five more now so you can uh, apply it today and then give you more stuff to work on so you don't overwork your tree. Exactly. You can also have the other problem where you got too many trees, you can't work on them all either, which, you know. Some of us have that. Uh, uh, other people would say that's a problem that Tim definitely has, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my wife feels the same way. Um, well, good. I'm, not, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you got that. You're not alone. You're not alone. I have too many. I, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. Okay, I have too many trees, but one of the things that you continually hear at every workshop you go to, I got nothing to work on. I got nothing to work on. One of the funnest things for me in bonsai is finding material. I'm not afraid to spend the money or to go collect the trees to have, okay, I'll say it, a hundred in reserve that I can work on. Anytime I want to go to a workshop, I got a heck of a time figuring out what I'm going to bring. (laughs) You got to narrow it down. I can narrow it. I do. I mean, I I pick out uh, 15 trees the night before the workshop so I can bring six. So I can bring six. (laughs) That's awesome. And you bring a tree to a teacher, well, it's not ready. Uh, Whatever. It's not ready. You need a couple to choose from. You have a couple to choose from. Yeah. You also have a ton of pots in front of me right here, too. So at, at some point in your bonsai This, this is what happens to you. This is what happens to you after well, 30 years. But you also, I mean, expense, place to store them all. But when you have a tree that's ready to go into a pot, and you go like, oh, that's the pot for that tree. Right. That yeah. must be an awesome feeling. It, it comes down and you've got six pots lined up. Which one am I going to put it in? Yeah. And you set it down on the tray and you stand back, Terry, Gay, and I, and we'll look at it. It's like, which one, which one, yeah. which one? Yep, yeah. nope, yep, nope, maybe. Oh, yeah. this, this is what happens when you've been in bonsai for 30 years. The, the, the merits of being a part of a, of a club when you're getting into uh, bonsai. It's huge. You, you, don't do, you don't do bonsai on your own. Gay, do we do bonsai on our own? <laughs> it's more fun with people. It's more fun with people, more fun with people for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll, you'll literally find that you don't do much bonsai unless you have workshops scheduled. Yeah. So unless you're one of those uh, you know, motivated people that will go sit down and work by yourself all the time. Yeah. The workshops what drives you to create more bonsai and take care of the bonsai you got. If, I mean, it's if, awesome. if, if you're if you're stuck, you know, 
by herself. And I mean, Gay actually likes it more than I do. By yourself? She, she will sit on the front lawn with that card table by sure. herself on a day off oh, and yeah. work oh, on yeah. a half a dozen and, trees. And I can do that. I can and do that. I won't sit and work on that, you know, one, two, three trees. I might, you know, go roll the collection and pinch and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. But get when, I do the, when I do the nitty-gritty, the detail, the wiring, you're it's at a workshop. At a workshop. It's at a workshop that I go to or I bring someone here. Yeah. And you're working with people and you're, yeah. you're feeding off each other. Yep. And, yeah. It's yeah. the most fun, really. It's a challenge in clubs, I think, but it's also the glory of clubs is there's, there's people of all levels, which yeah. can make it challenging because some of the veterans want to learn maybe the new things or mm -hmm. talk about things, but they've had all the experience. But there's the brand new folks, and so there's, there's a whole bunch of variety of skill levels, um, but you just you can't hear too much because there's just no. so much no. to share. No, you, you, you've, you, you've got the bug, too. You can, see it, you can see it when it hits people. Yeah. They, they go to one workshop, one event. And they don't want to leave. That's right. <laughs> I don't want to go. They don't want to leave. Any event that we go to, it's like, you're not ever home when yeah. you think you're going to be home. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, no. you go to a bonsai meeting and you're done at 9 o'clock and you go, to, you go to the uh, old Chicago and you sit around until midnight or 1 o'clock. Right. Well, your friends, Yeah. which, you know, you've got to know these people now. They're, they're friends. And you talk about everything, but you talk about bonsai. Bonsai is what brought you together. Mm -hmm. so. For sure. It's what's got me here right now. Yeah. My connection with you and those first few meetings. Well, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Uh, no problem, Dave. You know, I, I'll talk bones anytime you want. Good, good. Yeah, this, this is absolutely cool. My thanks again to Tim Mathwig of the Minnesota Bonsai Society and his partner Gay for hosting our chat at their wonderful farm in central Minnesota. Tim was one of the first MBS members to take me under his wing, and I do not take our Bonsai friendship for granted. Thanks, Tim. That does it for another edition of Up North Bonsai. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, check out BonsaiAcres.com. Until next time, take care of you, take care of your Bonsai, and we'll head up north again really soon and talk Bonsai. <laughs>